Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme and actually yesterday and I just didn't get around to it, it came in at the close of the programme there was a couple of people were on about the new Cork GAA uh, jersey or the GAA jersey that was worn at the weekend at the hurling game. Now we are going to be talking about the GAA in a couple of minutes and this is to do with them. They are stopping people using a screenshot of a purchased uh, ticket and we'll be finding out more about that. But yesterday Anne was on uh, wondering what did other people make of the Cork jersey at the hurling game she wasn't in favour of it and then someone else by text says God almighty what is, where's Cork GAA gone to have the jerseys that they wore yesterday it's a disgrace uh, Cork as a county has always been red and uh, white and in case you didn't see it the jersey was predominantly black and red rather than red and uh, white as it is the sports direct the O'Neills the logo was on it but I'm looking at a picture that John Paul has sent in it's probably more black than red those kind of lovely red zigzags quite a smart looking uh, jersey I have to say but some people feeling that it should be more predominantly red and white, not red and black. Your thoughts on that jersey that was worn at the weekend, 0818 103 103. And uh, a story that is in all of the papers today, and we have it on our news bulletin as well. And I suppose it's a story of, you know, since time began, parents always will put their children first. So not surprised uh, to hear, but saddened, I think, to hear that more than 40% of parents say they've actually skipped a meal or they've reduced the size of their own portion and why are they doing it so that their children will have enough to eat and I tied that in with a comment that has come in this morning from a listener saying Patricia yesterday on the programme somebody brought up about the 800,000 euro that the Irish government spent bringing pets to Ireland for Ukrainian refugees coming here to live. How disappointing was it to hear that figure? What a waste of taxpayers' money. There are families in Ireland really struggling and you can very much tie that in with families that don't have enough food on the table. You've got families with unwell children, says this texter with scoliosis, autism and over 4,000 Irish children living in homeless accommodation like hotels. Yet you've got somebody in the government who feels that 800,000 is well spent. Who work, who authorised the spending of that money. Surely it shows a lack of uh, judgment. And this 
survey that is out. It's the annual Food Insecurity Research. It's conducted, I think it's done every year by uh, Bernardo's Aldi Ireland have uh, teamed up with them and they found the number of parents skipping meals are eating smaller portions. It rose by 12% from 2022. Figures indicate food poverty is worsening for families with a growing number of children in homes where parents are either eating less or skipping meals completely to ensure children are fed. They're cutting back on other essentials just to make sure that there's food on the table and many of them are now uh, saying that they have to access food by going to a local food bank. The results in the survey say Bernardo reflect what Bernardos themselves have been seeing on the ground. They say parents have been faced with very difficult decisions uh, to make for their families more frequently now than ever. And, you know, Bernardo's also point out that a lack of nutritious meals, that has an impact both on the emotional and the mental well-being of both the child and the parents. And they say it has an emotional uh, and mental well-being for a long time uh, to come. And the, the quote that Bernardo's always say is, Childhood lasts uh, a lifetime. Now, more than half of the people surveyed, 54% say they've cut back on their own leisure and hobbies and they do that. Obviously, they're going to cut out. They'll see leisure and hobbies as as luxury. So they get rid of those in order to put food on the table. 21% of families have cut back on children's activities and then a quarter of families have been forced to reduce medical costs in order to be able to afford food. 45% of families are always or sometimes worried about not having enough food. And that figure more than doubled since the survey of the previous uh, year. 24% of parents say they've actually borrowed money just to feed their children. Now, Bernardo's obviously are calling on the government uh, to roll out a number of measures to try to tackle this food insecurity. I mean, they're including things like, and Bernardo's have called for this before, extending the free school meals. At the moment, everyone in primary school now is entitled to a free school meal. They want that rolled out to every secondary school in the country. And they also want to pilot an out-of-term and weekend meals for children because Bernardo's know there are many children who are entitled in primary school to the free school meals. They know that by the children going to school Monday to Friday, they know they're going to get a decent meal and, and, and enough food uh, to keep them fed. But then on the weekends that the families are really struggling or there's different issues going on within the family, the children may not have any food at the weekend. So Bernardo's have been saying that for quite some time. They always dread holidays, particularly the long, say, the summer holidays, uh, for example, because it's a long period of time where the children are not in school and if they're not getting proper food. So Bernardo's are all, are, have been saying for quite some time that we need to look at out-of-term and weekend meals when it comes to uh, children. We're quite shocking to see there is an increase in the number of parents who are struggling when it comes to food uh, security and more than 40% saying they've either skipped a meal or they've reduced their own portion size. And as I say, isn't it something that every parent will do? You'll skip a meal to make sure that your child has uh, a dinner uh, in front of them. 0818 103 103. Uh, John Paul taking your calls. And from that depressing story, let's go to something much, much lighter. And the news that broke at nine o'clock this morning that Shania Twain is coming to uh, Cork. She's going to be playing in Virgin Media Park on the 25th of June. Tickets go on sale this Friday at nine o'clock from Ticketmaster.ie and her her special guest actually is uh, Rag and Bone Man 
So if you're a fan of Shania Twain, you'll be counting down the days to the 25th of June. Hi, Patricia. Would you say a big thank you to the lady in the Cork bus station that gave me and my husband 20 cent each so that we could use the toilet? I didn't know there was a charge to go into the toilet as we're from a rural area and not often up in the city at the Cork bus station. So thank you to that very kind lady who handed over the 220 cents so that this listener and her husband could spend a penny. And can we help Mary? She lost a beige coloured purse. It contains a travel pass. She lost it in Mallow Town last Friday between 12 and 1 last Friday. Were you out and about on Friday? Did you pick up a beige coloured purse? If so, uh, if you can contact us here, uh, Mary would be thrilled to get her purse back. Please give John Paul a call 0818 103 103. I'm post have been back on to us. We were on, we were speaking yesterday with the local councillor Caroline Cronin who was outlining how people in Glengariff have been without their uh, post for for a number of days and we got on to on post to find out what was going on. They firstly start by apologising to customers on the Glengariff postal route area for what they say was some disruption to deliveries in recent days. They say it's due to a higher than normal level of staff absences affecting one postal route. They say every effort has been made to cover as much of the affected area as possible by relief staff and those efforts are continuing this week. They say allegations that the route had no deliveries for a week are absolutely untrue. They say all other postal routes in West Cork are operating as normal with delivery staff operating out of a modern custom designed delivery depot in Bantry which replaced a number of antiquated no longer fit for purpose local depots last autumn. They say all delivery operations have additional staff in place to cover sick or other absences. They say unfortunately on the very rare occasion where a number of staff are unavailable for work due to illness service may be disrupted. They say local management and staff are doing everything possible to resolve the problem as quickly as possible and to restore the high quality of service that is usually provided to Glengariff customers but they have apologised but they are completely refuting the allegations that there was no deliveries for a week. Thank you to Ampost for that. Our lines are open 0818 103 103 and make sure you have downloaded the C103 app on your phone because later on in the programme I will be asking you to snap a screenshot and send it in to us on WhatsApp for your chance to win €500 worth of free money today on Snap the app. Uh, Breda Costello from Fremont was our winner of €500 yesterday. Congratulations. Breda, you could be joining our list of winners. Make sure you've snapped the app. Download today and listen to play all week long only on C103. C103. Now, a couple of weeks ago, the GAA announced that screenshots of purchased tickets would no longer be accepted at league matches, uh, prompting one local senator to say you'll soon need a PhD in advanced maths in order to be able to watch a GAA match, sharing his frustrations. Fine Gael Senator uh, Tim Lambert. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. And you're welcome. And before we get to this GAA uh, issue, I'm seeing that the Education Minister is to update the Cabinet uh, today with plans to overhaul the school transport system, something I've spoken to you about on many occasions. uh, Now, it's understood that the rules won't be in place for for this year, for next year, 24-25, but they are looking at uh, extending um, and allowing for more young people to qualify for, and more children to qualify for, the school bus. But the, the issue straight away there is where will they be able to find the buses and the drivers? I mean, there's already a shortage, isn't there? Yeah, there's a few things there. Number one, the 
what we're hearing from the leaks from the cabinet is that they're changing the criteria about the second school, that they'll involve people who can go to your second school so you can actually uh, get on the school bus. They're changing the school limits as well, which will also help bring it out to something like two kilometres. Um, the big issue here is two things. Um, one, 2024, 2025, there's no major changes to the scheme itself, which means we'll have the exact same chaos next August and September like we did for the last four or five years. Um, that's a really important issue. And like my view here is they'll have to pilot this somewhere in Ireland. Like West Cork has a unique issue when it comes to transportation. The pilot should be in West Cork because we've been the one area that's been under such pressure in the last few years. So if they're to do something logical after three years starting this report, I think they need to have a pilot scheme in place and pilot next year in West Cork and give us a see how it works. They're on putting in the scheme fully then in the next eighteen months after that. So it's going to year 2025-2026 is when they're actually proposing the full scheme is going to come in. The issue about school capacity when it comes to buses, like this could be sorted very easily. Like I just can't get over the scenario that we have bus parents who are running the scheme are discriminating against drivers over 70. Like a driver over 70 can do a school run for school taken to a soccer match, but he can't take the kids to school. I do not see the logic in that. Yeah, and that's obviously not the minister. Has the minister any say in that? Well, the minister gives the contract to bus Aaron. Okay. So, like at the very end of the day, the minister's the paymaster here. So, like my view here is that when the minister gives that, um, like remember, over hundred thousand kids been moved a really significant contract. Contract bus Aaron. One of the issues that she needs to spell out is that she can't be discriminated against age of driver. Like, they must be make sure they have the right um, license and make sure they have the right medical sort, absolutely. But realistically, if they're good enough to do a school bus run for a soccer match for a school... They're good enough good to do it for... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, we all know, and seemingly the review will very much highlight the environmental benefits of the school transport because it reduces the numbers of individual car journeys and obviously the knock-on effect there, it will uh, lower uh, emissions. But certainly, I think for me, from what I've been reading so far, I think it's fantastic that they're going to scrap that rule where students must choose the school nearest their home in order to get the school bus. That was a ve- always a very unfair rule. That was Absolutely. the department dictating what school you sent your child to and that's not fair. Yeah and you didn't pinch points like banning the scheme where you could be going to McCrew, you could be going to Demanway, Clan or Bandon and there's literally a pop of ball between all three. So those catchment areas were always under pressure. Same thing happened in Manavage, Nova, really, really tight area too. You could go to Carrigliner, you could go to Sale, and people are effectively being thrown off the bus. Like that rule was totally wrong and it really discriminated against people's view of where they want to send their kids. At the end of the day, there were some kids where the school bus was going, which made no logical sense at all regarding making a choice of a school. Um, they've also changed, they're proposing to change the actual uh, limits of um, the one kilometre to two kilometres issue. Traditionally, it's 2.3.2 two, two kilometres away from uh, the school. For primary, for primary, yeah, and 4.8 for secondary. So, like, I had a man in Kinsale who was literally 60 metres short. Oh, for God. And he appealed us, and we drove it, we did everything. I was absolutely convinced he was right, and it came down to where was the school bus stop at the school gate. They were taking it at the grounds. I was taking it where the bus was parked inside, and they took it at the grounds, and the poor man didn't get his uh, ticket for his son. So, 
like things like that were just really annoying. Like, you know, of all the issues, this was the one that wrecked my head every all the Yeah, and, and it and it will again this year for for sure as well, and a lot of other politicians as well. Okay. Uh, as I say, that update is happening uh, before the cabinet uh, today, so we'll we'll await with great interest. Now go back to the GAA and this issue of the no longer accepting the screenshots of purchased tickets. Can you first of all outline why some people have been using a screenshot of a ticket? So what was traditionally happened was you go in, you have to buy your ticket online, which is the new from since COVID, and then you'd purchase the ticket, and then you'd send the ticket, a screenshot to your you know, mother, father, daughter, whoever, and they then would show that at a, at a gate, scan it, and away you go, you'd walk in the gate, and there was no issue whatsoever. Now what they want people to do is actually send that, have them downloaded onto their Google wallet, and when you've gone downloaded on your Google wallet, then you can actually have your Google account and that then has to be the platform you have to show your ticket. Like, where are the people who are trying to have to see the technology in a good day? But it's complicating things to a crazy degree. And I think, you know, the GA in many ways has moved into this kind of tech-first um, tech kind of approach now. Like, they need to be very, very aware of who their actual supporters are. Yeah, because what, what, what if you don't have a phone capable of, the, of that? Or what if you have a phone that's capable of it, but you just don't know how to do it? Look, this is, and it's all based off smartphones, so this won't work if you have a Nokia 3210 or a smaller phone of any nature like that. So literally, they're forcing people to go down the smartphone option of having it, because they're saying you can print it off. And everyone has the opportunity to get to a printer than when you buy your ticket. And I think it really is a step too far. Like, we have put up, and I mean, just barely, barely put up with this idea about having everything bought online, which is something that I fundamentally totally disagree with, but they've pushed it down. I think this is a major step too far because so many, so many of us got around this by the actual screenshot. Now we and and what is the reason? What are the GAA saying is the reason? Is it if is there a fear of forged tickets being used? Well, look, we've done with forged tickets. Like I don't know how many people are at Cork happened last week inside in Parky Keith in a dirty Saturday. Like, realistically, yeah. like there's very few people going to these matches, only their, you know, real GA supporters. I don't think you're going to say the GA supporters are, you know, out to fiddle the GA. That just doesn't make sense. And there's still so a like, barcode on whether it's a, a screen like, screen grab or not. There's still the barcode there that they scan. And, and like, you know, to, then you have issues like the Carberry on the 21 match last week. That was a cash-only event, which I have no problem with. But there's no joined-up thinking. And then if you go to a natural um, championship match, you can only buy a programme by cash insider. And yet so you, you can, can only yeah. pay in online or on, on a credit card, but when you get inside, they want your cash. They want your cash. So, like, there's no joined-up thinking here. Like, like one man said to you last week, it's not they're not joined up the docks, there's a few docks missing here. And I think that's the big issue here. And, like, this smartphone driving us all down the smartphone line makes no sense. Like, like we've seen really in the even the last years. Like the way they're going at the moment, they change the name of, of Crow Park down to Apple Park. The same the way they're pushing us down the line of smartphones. I, I, and I know when this all came in that you had to buy and book your ticket online. I remember uh, we were contacted by uh, a gentleman in Galway whose dad lived in uh, Bantry and he was trying to book the ticket for his dad. And he came up with the idea of and he was saying, do you think that will work of sending a screenshot? And we suggested, yeah, I'll give it a try. And it did work and it has been working. So I'm straight away thinking of that family, the son in Galway trying to buy the ticket for the dad in, in Bantry. And if I- the dad can't upload 
loathe that. I don't think he has a smartphone. That's going to stop the dad going. So I had a man in Bandon last week who told me that his son, his daughter buys a ticket from Dublin, takes a screenshot, sends it to him on WhatsApp, and he opens the WhatsApp at the gate. And there it is. And that's how we've operated for the last three or four years. Yeah. It's been a mechanism of everyone working together to go, to go through the scenario. Like, to me, it makes no sense. To me, the GA have just gone too far here. And what the GA needs to do is pull back a little bit and think who their actual patrons are. Their patrons are, honest to God, hard-working people. They're not out to fiddle the GA. They, they really aren't. And, like, anyone who's going to go to a league match inside in Pocket Keefe to see Kevin in the football match in a really, really dusty day doesn't make Like, they're not out to actually fiddle the GA. So they need to step back from this. So it's a bit of common hand. sense is what you're calling for here, Tim. And, like, I, I was reading during the weekend that the former president, Nicky uh, Brennan from Kilkenny, came out very strong about this issue. He says, like, the GA lost their focus here. Like, their focus has to be community-based and about the people that they support. And, like, he came up with the idea that they've moved into this kind of tech-first actual approach in society. And that's wrong. That's not where the GA is all been. The GA has been people-first, and they need to work to make sure that people that they represent and support have the opportunity to go to matches. And I fundamentally believe this is becoming a barrier to go to matches now. I fundamentally believe... Yeah, have you, have you heard of people who perhaps would always have gone are no longer going? I think that has happened, unfortunately, in the mm. last few years in particular. You know, people have got out of the habit of going to matches. This has been another barrier. This has been, instead of turning up with your 10 years and paying at the gate and going through, they've now stepped back from it because there's a little bit too much hassle in this. And how they got around it was ringing their son or daughter will you buy me tickets she do it he do it spin it on and you go in whatsapp it on and then, and then you had it on, on, on a screenshot and, and, a, and a, okay we also need to remember that the government are working on defending people's rights to deal with cash and yeah and it's totally anti-government it's totally against what the entire government policy is that cash is a part of our society and look if you talk to GA they'll tell you oh, you can buy it at your local centre shop and so forth and so on but, like, what I can't get over here is there's complete double standards in the entire thing. Not alone has it gone to a new tech platform. Now they've moved to actually stop the actual screenshots. And then on the other side of it, you literally can turn up and you have to have cash to buy your program. Like, I don't know where the GA are going regarding the docs here, but they're not joining any Donald concerns I can say. Okay, somebody wants to know, uh, can you print out off the ticket? Yeah, the GAA say mobile tickets must be downloaded to your phone wallet in advance. Printed tickets will also be accepted. But not every elderly person has a printer. Well, completely. I think, you know, we often see it in the office and then people come in to get stuff printed. Like printers are very hard to get and the majority of people don't have printers at home anymore. It's been a real change in how people actually live their lives. And like, if the GAA to think logically about who they protect and who they're with, community elements is fierce important. And I fundamentally come back to the point, I think it's becoming a barrier for certain people in society going to matches. It's a step too far. And okay. the knock-on implications, they just won't go. Okay, and can I just stay on the GAA because we were getting calls in yesterday and we only got to get around to it today about the jersey that was worn at the weekend and not everybody is happy the fact that it was predominantly black and red. Um, Someone, for example, says you wouldn't see a clown wearing that jersey uh, in a circus. It really is a disgrace. Somebody else says, has the Cork County Board lost the plot? Where is the pride in the blood and bandages? Looking at other league games, the teams all have their traditional kits. Has this anything to to do with uh, sponsorship. I thought the New Jersey was uh, shocking and somebody says, what What did Tim make of the New Jerseys? What did you think of the New Jerseys at the weekend? Did you see it? We have a real traditional 
colour. We are what we are, red and white all the way through. And, like, I just didn't see the logic of what they did. Like, to me, this isn't what we do, you know. Um, like, you look at where we are over the history, we've always been red and white. We wear different colours of it or different kind of shades of it. To me, it made no sense. And I I, I couldn't believe it when I actually saw it. I actually, I don't know who I was watching for the first few minutes. So I just think, um, I actually think it's about commercialisation. I think they're trying to sell more after jerseys. Yeah, because I have to say, it's a smart-looking jersey. You wouldn't look at it and say, oh, that's a Cork jersey, but it is a smart-looking jersey, and maybe that's the route they're going down. Maybe, maybe, you know. It could be some kind of turkey, like a soccer club now, you know. To me, it made no sense at all. Yeah. I think we should go back okay. to our traditional Well, colours. there's a lot of people very, very upset about it. And just on the bus uh, drivers, Patricia, my husband has all of the bus licences for driving buses, but because he is 71, he won't be allowed to drive a school bus. He's fit and healthy. And somebody else says, well done to uh, Senator Tim Lombard for raising this. This needs to change because there are a lot of drivers in their early 70s who would love to continue and were school bus drivers, but are not allowed to do it anymore once they hit 70. OK, Tim, listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that. We covered a lot of topics today. But thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, West Cork Fine Gael, Senator Tim Lambert. Now, in an era that is fixated on perpetual youth, skin experts are really concerned about the younger generation, Gen Z, who are now increasingly drawn to anti-aging treatments and injections. Skin expert Ivana Breen runs a laser and a skin clinic and she joins me to share her concerns this morning. Good morning to you, Ivana. Good morning, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Now, we're talking about Gen Z. R- roughly, what, what, just explain to listeners what that age group is. Oh, now you've caught me. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say it's around about from sort of um, 10, 12 year olds up to early to mid 20s. Yeah, you're, you're, you're there. 12 to, 12 to 27 year olds, I'm, I'm told. So we're talking about young people. Is this an age group that shouldn't even be thinking about anti-aging treatments? They are simply too young. They really are too young. And the problem lies and is, I believe, comes from social media and these get ready with me videos on the likes of uh, TikTok and and Instagram and all of these social media platforms. And they're seeing videos that are being done and geared towards people older people, you know, in their in their 30s, 40s, 50s, um, these anti-aging treatments like retinol and vitamin C and using ingredients that they just don't need and having treatments that they don't need at all. And the, now the one I think, you know, most people will, will know about is is Botox. Are you saying that yeah. some some of these young people are, are, is it that kind of injection some of them are getting? Yeah, now obviously not kids as young as 10 or 12 are doing Botox. But those in their 20s? In, are, are, in their in their twenties, yeah. Um, really, somebody in their twenties, there's no need for them to have Botox. When you're having a Botox treatment done, you're freezing the muscle so that it doesn't move. And if it's not moving, that crease isn't forming in the skin. So you're preventing lines and wrinkles by having Botox done. But in your early twenties, you're still growing at that stage. You you don't stop growing until you're in around about twenty five. So to stop the muscle from moving in that vital growing phase is a problem and can have an effect on how you express yourself emotionally. And it just isn't, you don't have 
a lack of collagen at that point in time. And collagen is what gives your skin its strength and support. If you think of it like poles in a tent, it, it gives you stability. It gives your skin stability. And you're still producing collagen at the age, you know, when you're in your early 20s. And it's not really until you're after sort of 25 that you start to stop growing stop producing the collagen and then the collagen production starts to decline so there's no real need to have Botox done before that point. Would you worry about the long-term effect or is it too early to say what the long-term effect could be? So the long-term effect would be that the muscle, if it's constantly paralysed, it atrophies. So it will, as you age, the muscle will not work because it hasn't been, um, it's been frozen. So therefore, it's not building the way a muscle would. And it will have a different shape. So you will look very differently uh, to somebody who doesn't have Botox when you get into your sort of, 50s, 60s, the mu- if you're constantly having it done. So it's not a good idea to have it done continually every three months for many, many years. You, you'll end up with that frozen look, which is so unnatural. Yeah, it's very unnatural. And and again, here lies the problem and it comes from social media. When you look at images on social media and you see these flawless um, and almost perfect images, you have to remember that that's an image in 2D. When you see that person in 3D, you, you need to see how they're moving, their expression. And when you have Botox done and you have that frozen look, now I will say that you can have Botox done and not have the frozen look if you're if you're if it's done by somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, but if you go for that frozen look, it is a very unnatural look, in my opinion. And and, and I hate to pick on one celebrity in particular, but I don't know. Did you see Simon Cowell on Anton Deck last Saturday night? He was on live. I mean, I would suggest you Google it when you come off air. Uh, He's somebody and and like um, those, unfortunately, people took to social media immediately to say, God almighty, what's happened to the man? He's just the evidence of somebody who has done too much for too long. And he's just his face is literally just frozen. I mean, there wasn't any sort of movement, totally unnatural look. Uh, It really was. okay. but back to to young people. Are there rules and guidelines, you know, for clinics such as as yourself and other clinics around the country? When a young person, a 21 year old would present saying, I want to start uh, Botox. Are there any rules or guidelines around anti-aging treatment for younger people? Unfortunately, no, there aren't. And you really have to make sure that you're going somebody who to somebody who who is, you know, ethically going to do what's best for you. Um, unfortunately, there are people out there that are just out there to make money yeah. and they'll do what you want them to do. But that's not always the right course of action. So somebody who has ethics, who's been doing it for a number of years, who's doing it all day and every day, that they're not doing it as um as a hobby and that they're qualified to do it. I mean, with Botox, you have to be a medic or a dentist to be able to do Botox in Ireland. It can't be done um, by anybody else. And with filler, unfortunately, you don't have to be a medic, which is ironic because you can actually nearly do a bit more harm with fillers than you can with Botox. But you do, I would suggest that you go to a medic if you're having fillers done as well. And what are the fillers? Are they the ones they use for the lips? 
Yeah, fillers for lips and filler can be used all over the face and neck. And again, when it's done properly, it can look amazing because you actually won't know that the person has had anything done. And that's the key to successful treatment. You know, these treatments are very effective at helping to slow the aging process and helping you appear like you're aging well. But if they're done incorrectly, that's where we're really coming into problems. And when they're done on people who don't need them and overfilling lips, like with fillers, for example, if you are constantly getting fillers done, what can happen over time is um, that filler can migrate to other areas. And in the past, we would have believed that filler would have dissolved over a period of time. But now with new ultrasound devices, we're able to see that filler can actually stay in your skin for up to 20 years oh. so we, we didn't wouldn't have realized that before so that's that's new and coming to light yeah because a lot of this is new and and you know it's only over time as you say we are going to know the the, the long-term effects that's why it's so important that you go to a professional who absolutely knows what they're doing so what is the best advice for, for young people is it just simply focus on good skincare routine I think if you start young looking after your skin, you know, when when kids at the age of 10 and 12 are going to school, they should be wearing sunscreen. They can use a little bit of moisturiser and they can use a cleanser to cleanse their skin. I mean, you're washing your skin on a daily basis. So if parents are teaching their kids that when they're brushing their teeth, they're washing their face, put it on their sunscreen. And that wearing sunscreen on a daily basis is the best anti-aging treatment that you can give your skin hands down. There's nothing else that is more effective at slowing the aging process than wearing an SPF on a daily basis. So taking that holistic approach, looking at your lifestyle, looking at your diet, going into a professional, once you're a little bit older and getting into your 20s, go into a professional, come into the likes of our clinic, have a personalized skin consultation so that you know what your skin type is and what treatments you should be having done and what products you should be using at home on your skin. All too often you see these um, influencers are talking about a certain product and somebody buys it and it could be completely wrong for their skin. So while it might work for one person, it doesn't necessarily work for everyone. So getting a personalized consultation um, and having somebody see your skin and, and building a relationship with that therapist down through the years so that as your skin changes, your routine can change with it as well. And just age gracefully. Isn't that the way to do it, Ivana? think that is the absolute best way to do it. <laughs> Listen, Ivan, a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that and thanks for the advice. Thanks for having Good me. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Ivana Abreen who runs a laser and a skin clinic in Dublin. But just shocking to think that that younger generation would be even considering getting Botox or the fillers. I mean, some of the lips that you see, they just look absolutely unnatural. They're so plumped up. So it was interesting to hear from Ivana. If you are getting fillers, nobody should notice that you've actually got a filler. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text our what WhatsApp at 2086-2103-103. And I came across a piece today. It just, I suppose, it, it's showing a sign of the times uh, more than anything. And uh, 
how woke perhaps we are gone but I had to do a double take on this I saw it online yesterday so I must look into that more this is to do with the movie Mary Poppins I mean a movie that most of us grew up uh, seeing some people might be old enough that they went to the pictures uh, the cinema to see it others just one of those movies that kind of pops up every Christmas doesn't it and it's a kind of one of those lovely feel good movies that the whole family from the smallies right up to granny everyone can sit down and watch it and if you know the songs you can sing along with it so I was shocked to see that this is coming from the UK that the ratings the film ratings on Mary Poppins has been changed from a U and a U means it's suitable for everyone and now instead it is coming with a PG cert which means parental guidance and the reason for it is there is discriminatory language used in Mary Poppins and I scratched my head saying goodness me the many times I've watched it I can't remember anything in it that you would say was discriminating against one person or other. Now it's one word seemingly it's quite an obscure word but that has, this has led to the change in the UK and it's the British Board of Film Classification have decided now that uh, children should not watch it's in the 1964 classic unless there is some kind of parental input and usually when they put PG it means the parents should be sitting down with the children and then should be able to explain anything in the movie that they think might need uh, might need a discussion about or that the children might need to know more uh, about the reclassification stems from the use of the word hootentoots Hootentoots. Now, Hootentoots uh, is, is historically employed by Europeans to describe a normatic herding group in South Africa. And I think in all the times I've seen Mary Poppins, I can't even remember them using the word Hootentoots. But anyway, it's a normatic herding tribe in South Africa. And the term is now recognised as racially offensive. It's Admiral Boom. He utters the word twice in the movie. Initially, when he's suspended from a rooftop in a boat, he queries that one of the bank's ch- children about facing the hootentoots. And then later, when you know you've got that wonderful rooftop dance by the chimney sweeps, the same guy, Admiral Broom, perceives them as attacking and directs fireworks their way and he accuses them of being hootentoots. So the British Board of Film Classification have decided that a PG rating is now needed because they say some scenes may be unsuitable for young children, advising parental discretion, particularly for younger or more sensitive viewers. The film classification in the UK say we understand from our racism and discrimination research that a key concern for parents is the potential to expose children to discriminatory language or behaviour, which they may find distressing or they may go on to repeat without realising the potential offence. And they, But the same film class the same British Board of Film Classification downgraded Brad Pitt's film Fight Club. If anybody's seen Fight Club, that had been in over 18. They've downgraded it down to 15. And there are sequences of graphic and very brutal violence in that. So they can allow that suddenly to be brought down from 18 down to 15. And yet poor old Mary Poppins because of the word hootentoots. And I hope that there is nobody listening from this nomadic her 
herding tribe in South Africa, I hope in any way, by calling you hootentoots that I'm offending you in any way. But because of that, Mary Poppins now comes with a PG classification. Is there anybody listening to us from the council, please, in the Mitchellstown area? Because Anne was on to say that there are three potholes in total on the way into Tesco in Mitchellstown. Outside Tesco in Mitchellstown, there's a little roundabout. You can either go to the leisure centre or you can go into Tesco and it's at the location But as you're entering into Tesco from what Anne has described, she describes these potholes as extremely dangerous, an accident waiting to happen because what she started to notice is people swerve to avoid these potholes and she's fearful that that could cause an accident. So the council, could you get working on those potholes please outside Tesco in Mitchellstown. On Mary Poppins that I mentioned in the last hour and in the UK, the British Board of Film Classification has decided there is some discriminatory language in Mary Poppins in reference to a word that was used twice Hootentoots, which describes a nomadic herding group in South Africa and the term is now recognised as racially offensive and because of that it's Mary Poppins now must come with a PG cert. Sheila says I'm seething here at the thought of them trying to change Mary Poppins. It would make far more sense to upgrade security so that children can't access pornography which is far more damaging than a word in a little song from 50 years ago says um, uh, Sheila and actually it's now 60 years ago. Goodness me, it is 60 years ago. Mary Poppins came out in 1964. And someone else says, hi Patricia, wait, just wait. It won't be long before we will not be allowed to say him or her without getting arrested. The woke world has gone mad. 0818 I mentioned on post and how they were on to us and they apologised to the good people of Glengariff over delays to their post last week. Katrina was on to say, just to say we're in rural Kalekill area and yes Yesterday we didn't get any letter post. Parcels were were only delivered but no letters. That tells that all other areas weren't manned as on post says, says uh, Katrina. Someone else says regarding no post in Glengariff, we have yet to receive any the information leaflet on the referendum and we haven't got our polling cards. Well, the referendum literature should be should be out by now. The polling cards, I I don't I, I certainly haven't got my polling cards yet. I have had the referendum leaflet though. I would say I got that maybe about ten days ago, two weeks ago. But I haven't the polling cards. It's a bit too early yet for the polling cards. But yeah, you should be getting your your referendum. But that's obviously to do with the problems that they've had in Glengariff. And then on the Cork jerseys, still getting a lot of people talking about the Cork uh, jerseys. Looking at the Cork match on Sunday, I thought the jerseys jerseys were shocking, says Mary. I felt like they were togging off to go into a circus. Hi Patricia, cork colours are red and white, not red and black. I don't like the new jerseys. Also in both codes there are up to 30 players but it seems to be the same subs that are brought on every time especially when it comes to our footballers. How can the others prove themselves if they're not brought on? It's disheartening for them. While Miriam Clonakilty says, I actually like the new Cork jersey. Thought it was a bit different, fresh looking. A lot of uh, countries have, mo- counties, I would say, have modernised their jerseys over the last few years. So why not us here in Cork? Is it not time to modernise our jerseys? Mick says, I don't like that Cork jersey either, but I'd be more worried about the way the Cork hurlers are playing. A 10 point lead 
could have been lost in the end. There was at least three players that Mick would question as to why they were on the panel at all. Hi Patricia, a loyal Cork supporter, says I think the Cork jersey is lovely and I am a loyal Cork supporter. And Jerry in Mallow says, Patricia, it's interesting, you're going to be discussing negative thinking and negative thoughts later on on the programme. Perhaps people could be less negative about the Cork jersey and start being a little bit more positive about it. 0818103103. And then some emails about the GAA with regard to the issue that I discussed with Tim Lombard and the fact that if a family member buys somebody one of the tickets online and just sends them a screenshot of it, you're now no longer allowed to go in with a screenshot. You either have to have it printed off or you have to have it downloaded on your smartphone into your wallet on your smartphone. Sean says, I am a GAA volunteer supporter and I'm a club officer, but I'm not tech agile. On this issue, I've written to the Cork County Board. I've received no response. I also have written to Croke Park and received no response. I haven't attended a match since this no cash was introduced. Pure and utter discriminatory practice was introduced. It is totally wrong. It's ageist and I feel it's an offence against older people's dignity. I'm hopeful that the new president of the GAA will do something about this stupid practice. Please keep cash. It's going to be a law soon enough that is going to be introduced by Minister Michael McGrath. Yeah, I mentioned that with Tim Lambert. That's in from Sean. And also on email to Cork today at c103.ie John says, so the county board revenue fell last year on match attendance? Question mark, question mark. Guess why? Because a big swathe of older people can't and won't pay by technology and rightly so. We want choice. And that is from John on uh, email. Thank you for that. On other issues coming in uh, to us on food poverty I mentioned that shocking report. We are hoping to have Bernardo's on to talk about that on the programme uh, this week. Uh, somebody says, Patricia, thank God for the German retailers, the Littles and the Aldis. They are excellent when it comes to trying to feed large families. In fairness, we didn't have those 30 years ago. We didn't have as much choice. And then talking of many years ago. Somebody says, Trish, in our day when we didn't have much money, my mother always made stew and dumplings, porridge for breakfast, homemade rice pudding, bread and butter pudding, egg and homemade chips. There was no such thing as spaghetti bolognese, lasagnas or expensive frozen and processed food. Well, not on our table anyway. We all had full bellies and though it was hard work for our mother, she got to eat too. Maybe we need to go back to basics when it comes to feeding our families. So 818-103-103. And on skincare, when I spoke with Laura DeBarra, or not, sorry, not Laura DeBarra, um, um, Laura's coming on in a minute. I spoke with um, Ivana Breen. Uh, shocking to think that young people in their 20s are looking at the likes of Bot- Botox and getting lip fi- fillers. And she is a skin expert. Is just talking about how dangerous that is because young people, they're still growing and their skin is still growing and they're interfering with the collagen in their skin, etc. Uh, and Laura says, my daughter was for a few months unknowns to me in her room doing these makeup tutorials and she was buying various skin creams that had been recommended from watching people doing tutorials on uh, TikTok. We'd managed to stop her and we've put a timer on the Wi-Fi for it to switch off at nine o'clock. How I discovered it, says Laura, was her face started to break out in acne, something she'd never suffered from before. 14-year-old daughter with beautiful skin and suddenly her skin was really getting interfered with by what she was putting on her face. 
place. A warning to all parents. Young people can get sucked into what they see as so-called professionals on TikTok. You need to know what your young people are up to. And then on a, some different issues. Orlin Bandon was on uh, to um, not just Orla, but there was others. There's a couple of housing estates in Bandon where the street lights were out. We, uh, John Paul, have contacted N N or VO, uh, who have the contract to look after the public lighting in Ireland and they're looking into it. But if you come across a street light that the bulb is gone and it's out, obviously the people who are contracted to look after them are not aware that your street light is gone. It might just be one or it could be a couple of bulbs are gone in the area. So they ask you to contact them. There's a number on every poll and what you can do is you can contact, they have a website uh, N-E-R-V-E-O, E-N-E-R-V-E-O dot com. I think there's also a phone number on on the street lights as well and the number will be on it and it'll tell you ring this number report the number of your poll and they'll come out and they're very good about coming out and fixing them and then Nula in East Cork is looking for a little bit of advice she's been to her doctor who has told Nula that she needs to go to a chronic disease needs to go on a chronic disease management uh, programme now Nula says obviously the GP was in a bit of a rush as we all know the GPs don't have a lot of time now they're trying to get through as many patients as possible so he wasn't able to expand on what is a chronic disease management management programme. So she's contacted us to see if any other listeners listening been put on a chronic disease management programme. What was it like and what does it actually entail? If anybody wants to share and has advice for Nula in East Cork. 0818103103 Jump all taking your calls. C103 Jobs. Irish Kidney Association, they are looking for a part-time support worker. It's for their new support centre for kidney patients based in Wilton. CV's in a cover letter to Munster Support Centre at IKA.ie. IFAC have opportunities for talented accountants. It's to join their team in Mallow. Please apply through their website www.ifacifac.ie. Munster Drone Services in Mill Street, they are looking for a part-time office administrator, CVs in a cover letter to HR at munsterdroneservices.ie. And GAA caretakers are required for CE schemes in Fremont, Churchtown, Milford and Dramina. Uh, email Evelyn O'Keefe at dealvalley.ie for all the details. You'll find all of the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now, a book that really caught my attention, landed on my desk a few weeks ago, is written by Laura DeBarra, well known as the Gaff Goddess. But Laura's new book, this time round, focuses on clothing and is called The Garmin Goddess. And I'm delighted to say Laura DeBarra joins me to talk about her new book. Uh, good morning to you, Laura. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to talk to you. I tell you, I have read this book from cover to cover and as I was oh. reading it, I wish my late mother was alive because she always said, buy well and wear well. And so much of this advice is how our mothers and grandmothers lived, isn't it? And particularly things like repairing clothes. Yeah, and a lot of people have said that to me. And a lot of people actually came to the events last week with their mothers ah. <clears throat> or their grandmothers. Because I think like a lot of the work I do is doesn't matter what age you are. It's kind of the sentiment behind it. 
So it's been really nice hearing so many stories about how people would have loved it, you know, because I think these days we're going back to that make, mend and repair. I think during lockdowns, we learned that some of the stuff in our homes need our help to last a bit longer. So I think our brains have switched a little bit into wanting to do more stuff ourselves. Does the whole world of fast fashion really sadden you? It does, I, but I understand why it got to where it was because I was working in fashion at the time and it, it's difficult because I think the, the biggest thing that, I, that saddens me about it is the customer that has been most affected by it and that's somebody who's shopping at the lower end price in High Street. We used to design coats, kids' coats and, um, you know, entry-level jackets for people for winter And we ended up having to put the fast fashion in at that price level. And it really took accessibility away from a lot of people shopping on the high street. That was one of the hardest parts of of it for me to digest, really. You know, like the landfill then comes next and the way we're basically kind of destroying the world through our consumption. But I must say how it actually took accessibility away from so many people when people started wanting cheaper fashion garments. That was definitely hard to swallow. Is it one of the reasons you left the fashion industry? Yeah, I when we were, um, it was about 2015, 16, when like what we used to do is we'd watch all the catwalks, figure out all the trends, travel to different cities. And then we'd be like, right, we're doing the black pole neck we do every year, but we're going to add a gold button onto it because that's what's in fashion. That's how it usually works. You're kind of putting together all the trends, presenting it to buyers. And then it started getting to the stage where they were just showing us a picture on Instagram saying, this celebrity's worn this. Can you get this to us in eight weeks? And that wasn't really design. And then you get the feeling, well, that customer is not going to want to be wearing that for a long time. It just became a bit like not design. It was more just it was less fashion, more shopping. And then it, when you started to realise that like a lot of the customers who are going into a high street store to buy their winter coat for, you know, 10 or 15 pounds, that all of a sudden was going to be like a stonewashed rhinestone denim long jacket that was only going to be worn once. And it just felt a bit murky. So I ended up just leaving because it just wasn't what it was before for me. Wow. Wow. So when you're when you're heading out to buy, to buy and, I, and I think from now on, having read your book, I'll, I'll never pick up an item without strongly thinking oh. about it <laughs> and examining every detail of it. it it's not necessarily price. It's it's quality for you, isn't it? It's quality is what we should be looking at. Yeah, like I buy most of my clothes uh, secondhand or high street. Like I don't exactly have the world's largest budget. So I this is aimed at anyone shopping for anything, even if you are going in to buy a designer garment, if you are going into a store, like sometimes you'll even spot bad production there. So I take the customers like through the journey of from hanger to hamper is what I call it. Like when you're on the shop floor, everything to look for, like before the changing room, even just when you're on the shop floor. You know, the way you'd see like my grandmother would often like, She'd, I, she'd know what she was looking for in the fabric, the stitching, the composition. But if she was examining clothes now that are manufactured now, I think she'd be in disbelief because there's stages skipped in productions. So there's loads of illustrations in the book. Like If you see this, that's not going to last a long time. But it also allows people to say like, OK, I'm buying this top as my going out top that I want to have for years. I'm OK with it not being able to be washed a lot because I'm not wearing it a lot. So instead of kind of shaming people or telling people they can't shop or they can't do this and that, it's more helping you match the garment to the intention for the garment. So like you're able to spot like stitching, finishing, skipped production steps, 
dyes, the way the fabric sits, how the fabric's made, what it should be made of. And then you're able to apply it to your life then instead of being told what you should do, basically. You're a big fan of wearing and buying men's clothes for yourself. Explain the rationale behind that. I am literally talking to you right now from a full menswear outfit. (laughs) 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 Um, And even my winter coat is men's. So I went from women's wear to men's wear, um, like at the end of my career in fashion, I was head of menswear. And when I first moved over, I was like, hang on a second, like these both are going into this this store at the same price point. Why is the men's one way better fabric? Why are we doing more stitches around the armhole? Why has it got this finish? And it was always just said to me like, oh, the men won't buy it if it's not like that. And then I was like, well, it's not always men buying the clothes. And like, you know, I feel like when I say to my husband, he can't get over it when I'm like, this is the crew neck jumper from the women's wear section. And he's just like, this is so bizarre. Like, I think most men will agree like why is that even a thing but it just is a thing and when I go buy something that's a bit plainer that's more of a unisex item let's say for me I wear a lot of casual clothes to work I'll always buy menswear they're just better made it's roomier like if you have like more than an a cup boob like it's much room it's much roomier because there's this expectation of movement in menswear much more movement um, and when you're designing as well, they're really strict in menswear, whereas women's wear, they kind of have this thing of like I always say, my my husband wears the same suit to every wedding. And there's this weird expectation on me to be wearing a different outfit all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. You know, which look that has to change. You know, I, I don't mind repeating it. Like I'll wear a different earring if I'm feeling fancy. But like I think, <laughs> um, you know, there is an expectation that men's clothes will be worn more than women's. So they tend to put you know, more effort into it. And I think if you talk to any man, they'll agree that they don't see it. Like, you know, they're like, well, we'd prefer if the clothes were as well made for women because then we could wear them longer. So I would always, if you're going shopping now on Saturday and you're like, I want to get a nice crew neck jumper, like I live in crew neck jumpers, go to the men's wear department, pick up one, go to the women's wear department. Also, the men's sizes are all in centimetres. So let's say for me, I always know like my chest is like the biggest part of me, like of my upper body. Like I'll, I have that measurement written down and I'll just match the jumper to that. And then I don't even need to try it on if I don't have time or I don't want to. And it's just a lot of, it's a much easier way to shop. You can shop to your measurement and you don't even know what size it is. Which yeah, is and it's, it's interesting when you say uh, measurement. A lot of women get fixated on the size. Oh, I have to be a perfect mm-hmm. 10. And uh, you say go for the fish rather than the size. Yeah, like it's almost beaten into us that like sizing is like it, you're good if you've got a lower size, you know, like I think I grew up in that millennial stage where like there was circle of shame on magazine covers, you know, like our bodies were seen as something that we could use to like be better than people. I find it really strange, you know, like so when um I was working in fashion and I, there's a big section of this on the book, why sizing became how it is. And when you actually read through it, you're like, oh, it's got absolutely nothing to do with our body and it's all about cost and using the wrong samples sizing and speeding up production and not using fit models as often so it's actually got nothing to do with someone's body it's because people are just trying to get clothes out quicker so I would always go for fit which I think brands need to come to around to the to the menswear sizing where inches centimeters you know like the small medium large is a step forward but like I think they need to get into measurement and we need to just learn our widest measurements because I'll go in and buy a, like a pair of jeans from a brand 
and even that same brand, their size 12s will be two different sizes. Yeah. Yeah, and we've like, all, we've <laughs> all, we've all, know, and it's so frustrating. It is just so yeah. frustrating. I loved the section on uh, washing clothes and, and looking after and, and, and minding our clothes. Do we overwash our clothes, Laura DeBarra? We do. I'm also so glad you liked that section because yeah. it's one of my favourites. <laughs> we do. I think that's another thing that like where how they can bring like shame into the domestic sphere, really. Like where- It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're told that we're never clean enough. You know, like, it's kind of like this shame thing that we should be washing and we should be smelling of washing, but that's not really how washing smells. <laughs> it's kind of chemicals. And like I have a friend when they moved to the I live in London, when they moved to the UK, they were like, I can smell people's laundry. Like I, we don't have that where I live. Like it's really strong. And I was saying, oh, it's like a marketing thing here. You know, like you're always told that like you should be overwashing. But every time you wash a garment, it reduces the quality of the garment. So like, for example, if you've jumpers right now, knitwear, don't wash them that often. Wear a cotton T-shirt underneath and wash that like that means you're not going to harm the garment with your body like my fake tan and my deodorant isn't going to go in it or my sweat. So a lot of it is just wearing, be clever what you wear under things that you don't want to wash often. And then things that you do need to wash often and you wear often, like your underwear, T-shirts, shirts and stuff, make sure they're cotton and they can hack the washing a bit more. And then temperature, like we are cool wash, like 30 degrees is not a cool wash. We've been duped into that. It's 30 degrees. Like you'd be happy on our holidays, you know, like, so I think we need to remember that fades, dies. It will decrease the elasticity, you know, the stretch in your jeans. Yeah, you feel like yeah. you get a saggy bump. That's from washing it on too hot a temperature and washing it too often. And fast washes are really bad for our clothes. Fine for children's wear if you need it back quickly, because a lot of children's wear are natural fibers. But our clothes shouldn't be on fast washes. It just warps them. And always close your zips. I can never say that enough. Close your zips when you wash. <laughs> Again, I remember my mother, late mother saying that. I always <laughs> close the zips. And the and the I the, the one I hundred percent know the tumble dryer. And when you see mm. all the lint that comes off, and you think that's all the fabric coming out of my clothes. It is, and you would be shocked at what comes out when you wash your clothes. 
So like we just don't see it because the filter doesn't catch it in the same way. So when you have a synthetic fiber, there's these microplastics that come off them. And a lot of times people switch off as soon as I say that because they're like, like they feel like it's too sustainable or like it's like I'm preaching about recycling. But if I was to tell you it from the point of view that you've spent 20 quid on that jumper and it's reducing in weight every time you wash it, you can buy these bags and they're, they're not like lawn, like lingerie bags. They're like guppy bags, they're called. And when you wash a synthetic garment in it and then you put your hand inside the bag, you can see all the lint inside. All the so washing actually removes more, if not the same amount as a dryer. We whoa, just don't see it. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Uh, and if you had a way, I think you would ban fabric conditioner. I know. I always feel like they're going <laughs> to come after me. <laughs> I'm like, someday they're going to be like, have you been bitching about me? So I'm... Um, Basically, you. I would love if people realized or if, if people matched their use of fabric softener to their garment. That's the main message I'd like to get out there because my friends, some of my friends absolutely love the smell of it. So I'm like, wash a handkerchief in it and stick it on the inside of your coat and you can smell it all day long. But you're not covering your coat, this beautiful wool in this oily residue that doesn't come off. Fabric softener is designed to stay on. But there's a section in the book that talks you through why fabric softener was invented, what it's supposed to be used for. And a lot of fabric softeners, if you turn them around, they'll tell you not to be used on terry, which is toweling. And it's always towels in the adverts. So anything that you use for absorption, so your sheets or your towels or your work shirt or cotton T-shirt, anything that you're sw- you're going to sweat onto that you need the sweat to be released and no odours to come out, shouldn't have fabric softener on it. Because it takes away the absorbency of the garment or the fabric. That's incredible. That's incredible. I think I, I certainly did. I was rereading that bit going, am I reading this uh, right? And I do, <laughs> I do I do agree with your tip for the, the cup of vinegar. That's that, oh, I love that's vinegar. amazing in, in a wash. It's so good. And then also like if you have, you know, like when you've like kids school shirts and you get the kind of ring around the neck mm. or like that, basically we have different sweat glands in our anywhere that grows hair and anywhere that doesn't. And it makes it a more lipid rich, yellowier sweat. Vinegar is great for that as well. It just, it's so acidic, it can chomp through it. It loves eating any of our body stains, any protein stains in the body. <laughs> I know, I love it. That's I'm obsessed with vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we've unfortunately, I think we're a generation that have lost the knack of picking up a needle and thread. You have a really good section to get people back to uh, basics for us all to learn, to mend, or, you know, or if you think it's all above you, go into a local seamstress even, because we, we have a tendency mm-hmm. to have to clue how to sew a button on, you know, a simple thing. And you go through all of that in the book. Yeah, because like, I think like I'm always like, you know, there's no shame in not, not knowing. Like someone who doesn't know how to sew a button will know 10 other things I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't even think it's a skill that we were forced into having. Same when I wrote my DIY book. It's like there's no shame in it. But there are things that would be really helpful and save us money if we knew. So a lot of modern made clothing have the same problems. Buttons fall off, zips fail, rips in coat pockets, hems fall, side seams. So I've just covered those rather than giving people a hefty home economics book. Because <laughs> I feel like people be like, I don't want this. So instead I teach you even how to sew, just like thread a needle. Because sometimes people don't look at a sewing tutorial because they're like, I don't know how to thread the needle properly. So I teach you like even during my fashion degree, like we were up to 3 a.m. What's the quickest way we can thread a million needles so I just think like we just start small in that and then you can, the world is your oyster and how much you want to sew after that. That's fantastic. It's a, that's a brilliant section uh, on it as well. Uh, by the Thank way, you. are you do you shop online or are you, do you like to go in in person and, and see the garments? It depends. Like I basically, because I buy a lot of secondhand clothing, I tend to go, there's a lot of vintage shops here in London 
and markets and stuff like that um, where I will examine on them. But I'll know from the description and I never have any hassle even emailing a brand and saying, can you give me the measurement across the chest? Can you give me this? Can you? Because every time you send an email and you make customer services answer a question, if they get enough of them, they put it into the online description. So like it's a good thing to be asking those questions. And what I don't like to do is return. I just, you know, like it's not a very sustainable thing to be doing is buying loads and returning them because often they don't end up even going back to the brand. They, they go to landfill. They sale. go to landfill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they go to landfill. And you're also like, you know, Brendan Courtney says it um, calls it like frock blocking, like you're stopping someone else getting that size. But some people have to and there's no judgment there. There's absolutely no judgment. Some people are between sizes and the brand isn't being honest with their sizing. So like online, I have a section in the book that tells you how to shop online, like how I would examine stuff. Um, but anytime I'm buying eBay, I buy a lot of like, you know, suiting is great on eBay and the, every seller will chat away to you. They will, you know, they'll send you more pictures, close ups. And what I do is I measure if I'm going to buy, let's say, a blazer, I'll measure another blazer that I have that I love the fit of. And then I will make sure that it matches those measurements at those key points. And then that will help me. It teaches you how to measure yourself in the book as well at the key points, because not everyone do the way everyone's like, oh, measure your waist, measure your hips. Some people's don't don't go in at their waist and some people's waist is wider than their hip. You know what I mean? Like it's it, it, it's all relative to you. So it teaches you how to shop for yourself rather than shop for Inverticom as the average person. OK, well done. Some comments uh, coming in. Uh, Maura says, it is amazing to hear a person with a brain. Laura is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> and then, hi, Thank Patricia. <laughs> I used to work in Harrods of London and one of our customers was a lady, somebody from the north of England. One day when she popped down to London, she called into our department in Harrods. She wanted to purchase a blouse to match her skirt. She informed us that the skirt was 20 years old and would be worn for many more years. One of the girls expressed surprise of the skirt's durability and the lady declared in her upper class tones that it was important to buy classics. Always get classics. Her words struck home and I've never forgotten her excellent advice. And someone else says, hi Patricia, I've just sold the wire that came out from the back of my bra. I've just sold it back in. (laughs) An icon. icon They always come out. (laughs) Oh and God, they can be so painful when they do. Listen, the book book is terrific. It is by Gill Books. It is The Garment uh, Goddess by Laura uh, DeBarra. And it's a beautiful quality book as well, isn't it? It's a hardback, really lovely quality. Uh, well yeah. done to you on it well done well done listen pleasure talking to you, to you uh, Laura thanks and thanks a million bye 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 that is the wonderful uh, Laura DeBarra uh, joining us this morning Garment uh, Goddess a terrific read and I am normally a great advocate that I pass on books I love to share books particularly books that I get in here to the radio to review and I'll always pass them on uh, to people and say oh you've got to read this it's a great book this is one book I'm keeping <laughs> I've decided because it's almost like a reference book it's the kind of a book I know I'm going to dip in and out of and go she won't and Laura said something about that and it's, it's, it's like a kind of a bible it's a fantastic book well worth the read it seemed like only the other day to me that uh, Centre Stage School first opened in Mallow so I was really taken aback to see they're actually celebrating 20 years putting the boys and girls of North Cork through their paces to celebrate the school is putting on a gala night it's at the Opera House and joining me is Aideen McAuliffe founder of Centre Stage School good morning to Aideen Good morning, Patricia. And I have to say, congratulations to you on, on 20 years. I really was taken aback when I saw it was 20 years. You almost <laughs> must, you must be almost coming to the stage where you will have little ones coming in whose parents were once your students. Oh, believe me, we're at that stage ah, already. Ah, ah. <laughs> and you have some pupils who are teachers. 
We have, yeah, numerous of them, lots of them who have, you know, gone through our ranks here in Mallow and gone on to train themselves professionally and now are back in the fold. Yeah, came back to Roost to work with us, um, you know, be it teaching musical theatre or singing or dance. And some of them came back on an administrative type of a role. Um, But yeah, it's become a a whole community now, 20 years later. It's full circles in in, in many different guises. You know, and while for for many getting involved in a stage school, it's, you know, it's a hobby for children. But some of your pupils have really excelled and they've gone on to have careers on the stage. They have. Yeah, yeah. Many of them. And, you know, I suppose at, at the beginning, I never really envisaged that it would come to that stage where we would be preparing students, senior students to go, you know, audition for colleges in London and all around the UK and even here in Ireland now. I mean, 20 years ago, it was unheard of that you could train as a professional performer in Ireland. But thankfully, with the likes of MTU in Cork and uh, the Lear in Dublin, so many more degree courses have popped up for for students who can train in Ireland, but the majority of them still do go to the UK. I suppose that's where you know the agents are and um, where where they, where it, there's more of a tradition, I suppose, of musical theatre uh, style of life. Um, but yes, the likes of MTU have most amazing um, degree courses now in drama and musical theatre, and yeah, many of our senior students do look at options in down a, you know, a professional route of, of training wow. um, because the industry is, is booming. You know, the, the, the likes of performing arts and the arts, thankfully, after COVID, is now back on its feet. And there's so many opportunities for young people in singing, dancing, acting or even producing themselves. So go back 20 years, Aideen. How, how has Centre Stage School grown over those 20 years from when you first started yeah. out? Oh, I suppose brick by brick and little by little <laughs> every single year. Um, so it started in 2003, just myself. Um, I had my very first class in the parish centre on the main street in Mallow in September 20 or 2003. And I had 12 students, so oh. I had 12 drama students. And it was, lit- I was, you know, still working myself full time as, as in another job. So this was just a Saturday hobby where I said I'd start a drama class and um, yeah, year by year, you know, uh, the numbers seemed to grow, the interest seemed to grow and we didn't just offer drama classes, we started offering musical theatre and dance of all different types and singing, musical instruments and every year something new came on on board and another person came on board the team. So uh, it went from 12 students in 2003 and now we have a staff of about 30 teachers and we have about 1,500 students. That's incredible. So it has been, that, yeah, that it has is been quite a journey. And it, is it amazing to watch a very shy child come in on that first day and watch them blossom with confidence? Yeah, you know, that is the magic that is really, and you've just put the nail in the head there, that is what it's all about. And we can talk about, you know, people going on to train and work professionally, etc. But that's a handful of kids. You know, the majority of them are there because, first of all, they want to belong to something positive. And that's that's the key. Like They want to be part of a community whereby they feel special and they feel heard and they do doing something that they like and I suppose it's very easy to hear from mum and dad you know oh you've a lovely voice or you you know you you're you're lovely at dancing but it's when somebody else tells them that you know a teacher or a mentor all of a sudden it becomes real in that child's head and they say oh yeah you know maybe yeah I am and maybe 
maybe I'm not so bad at this. And all of a sudden, they, you know, they're that bit taller you, as they're doing their performance or even just speaking in public. And that's where it starts. They just need to be part of a community that really believe in the child and believe in that there's confidence hidden in every child. And it just needs to be, be you know, a little digged out, a little yeah. digging here and there to let them build. Yeah, yeah. I, I always say that when it, whenever I'm talking with, uh, you know, friends of mine or, you know, and if they have a particularly shy child, I always say, would you not consider putting them into some kind of a stage school? It's, it's just incredible because I, I'm assuming you'd agree every child has some kind of a talent. Oh, one hundred percent. There is talent everywhere. Every child has something. We just need to, to source it out. You know, we just need to see what is it that makes them tick. What is it that really gives them that bit of extra joy? And it, it comes in various forms. You know, it 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 can be that they're very have a beautiful speaking voice and they love to speak in public and they're very articulate. Or it could be that they have a nice singing voice, but it's like with singing, it's like running for a marathon. You have to keep singing to be you know to train to be a, 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 a you know a stronger singer. Um, or and then of course when it comes to dancing. That's a whole other form of, of, of training. But every child has something. Every mm. child has some little bit of creativity within them, um, be it playing an instrument or even drawing. You know, it, it just they just need to figure out what it is. And I suppose, it, particularly in teenage years, I know there's an awful lot of wondering, who am I and where do I fit in and where do I belong? And if they have that one little bit of talent, all of a sudden they have somebody to talk about, you know, something to talk about in school, you know, a peer to chat about with and something in common with somebody else. And then that's the sense of belonging. Oh, that's my thing. You know, that's what that's what I'm good at. So it does help them in so many ways in life going forward and um, that, you know, they believed in themselves and that they were really good at that one thing. And that's so important. Um, and do you manage to hang on to them during the teenage years? Because I've I've discussed many times with different sporting bodies you know, the problem they can have with when, you know, the young girl, particularly the young girls, when they go to a, a certain a teenage, they drop out. Is it the same with stage school or, or do, do you manage to hang on to them? Um, no, I mean, there is always a very, you know, there's a bit of significant significant dropout at that age, kind of going into first year. I mean, that's always a big step for them. You know, they become self-conscious and they're wondering, you know, is this cool anymore? And will my friends accept me doing it? Um, and and yes, of course, there is a dropout. But I do feel that first, second year, they're, they're tough years. They're mm. really tough for, for a teenager. If you could hang on to them at all, if they can just stick with it for those two very difficult years, come third year, they they really just settle into their own shoes. You know, they, they really just say, yeah, you know, this is OK. This is who I'm at. And I look at all these other people around me who are really into this as well. Um, so, yeah, there is a significant dropout at, at first and second year. But you find in third and fourth year and even with the boys come fourth year, they, they, they're strong enough to stand on their own feet to say, no, I actually really like to sing. You know, it's, it's, it's OK not to love football. You know, I, I, yeah. this is my thing. And they're confident enough to come back um, and, and, and join the class again at that age. So it's just that really difficult years in that tweeny, you know, early teen mm. years um, 
that it, yeah, kids, every kid finds it. it yeah, and it's it's across all, all hobbies. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it is. is. Yeah. And of course, you and over the years, you've put on some spectacular uh, shows that the children take part in. And that's a great moment uh, for the children. And I always love to sort of sit in the audience and watch the, the grannies turn up and the aunts and the uncles and everybody watching their, their beloved up on the stage. It's just it's, it's just a magical moment. And that's what you're that's what people can expect on, on Thursdays, is it kind of a look back at the last 20 years? Exactly. We're actually doing a little snippet from all 20 years. So every single year we produced a musical or a performance of some sort and we're doing a tiny little snippet of, of each of those years starting in 2003. So we look back over some of the musicals that we've done like Miss Saigon and uh, Les Miserables, um, Susical the Musical, we did Blood Brothers, you know, there's a whole array of all different types of, of, of musicals that we've done. And this show is extra special because it's not just the students of Centre Stage, but we invited all any past past pupil who wanted to come back to perform with us one, oh. one more time. Um, and there is an array of them coming from all over Ireland. They're flying in from the UK. They're coming from a few coming from various countries in Europe. So we have about 75 past pupils joining us on the Opera House stage um, on Thursday night from all generations of, of, of Centre Stage over the last 20 years. Oh, that that's really is, that so really is special. going to be special. Are there tickets still available? Or are they... Are there are a handful of tickets. Handful, are, okay. Think, this morning, I think there was about 35 or 40 of Okay, them get moving um, on it. So Corkoperahouse.ie um, Listen, it sounds like it's going to be an amazing uh, night, Aideen. Enjoy it as well, because I think that's what it's all about. Anthony says, every child has creativity. I think it starts from encouraging them at a very young age. I've worked in creches. I've always praised the children. I work with them because they're the future of tomorrow. It's all about praise. It is indeed. OK, Aideen, listen, the best of luck to you and everybody involved in Centre Stage School. And once again, congratulations on 20 years. Thank you, Patricia, for having us on. Good morning to you. Bye bye. It's time to give away more free money. Free money. Snap the app only on C103. Give me Okay, we need another we need another qualifier. Let's go to the phone lines where we're going to cross Barry uh, where Kerry Ahern is. Good afternoon, Kerry. Hi Patricia, how are you? I'm very well. You have been selected today. Which means you are our qualifier. You'll go forward to a draw this afternoon and you could win for yourself €500. Have you only recently downloaded the C103 app or had you downloaded it a while ago? I had it downloaded a while ago and I'd entered maybe once or twice last week. So it was a shock when I got the phone call from JP there. (laughs) Well done. Well done. What are you up to in Cross Barry today? I'm currently caretaking in a home for a private man. So it's it's going good. He's delighted for me. Good. Well done. Well done. Is the sun shining? It's not really, to be honest, it's more overcast than shining, but look, it's not raining. So we'll yeah, take it. that's, we'll take that. Well, listen, congratulations. Fingers crossed for this afternoon and you could be getting another call back from Martina. And if you do, you'll be 500 euro better off. Amazing. Thank you so much. Okay, have a good day. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. Kerry Ahern in uh, Crossbarry, our latest qualifier. Nick looks for two more qualifiers this afternoon. Make sure you've downloaded the C103 app. And when we tell you, and only when we tell you, that's when you WhatsApp in the the screenshot to 0862 103 103. Our winner yesterday was Breathe Costello from Fremont, and she joined last week's winners of 500 euro Rachel O'Leary from Ballygarvan, Shane. McGill was a winner in Mayfield Jackie Carroll was in Canturk Heather O'Sullivan uh, won from Kale Kill 
and Caroline Jordan was our first winner last Monday uh, week from Minan Bridge. We're looking for another winner and another €500 Euro to give away today. Snap the app, download today, listen to play all week only on C103. John Paul's taking your calls at 0818 103 103. Let me give a shout out to Councillor Declan Hurley in Dunmanway who sent me in a note just to warn people in the Dunmanway area that water mains replacement works are starting tomorrow on Bridge Street in Dunmanway. The water main now is from the pizzeria to the West End bar on Bridge Street in Dunmanway, all being replaced. I mean, that's really good news. And what's even better news is that no household or business should be without water, but pressure in higher parts of the town may be less than normal while the work is going on. Works are due to be completed by Friday week, the 8th of March. But the greatest issue and the greatest problems is going to be traffic because obviously they're going to have to put the traffic down to one lane on weekdays and will be open fully at the weekends. So you can expect delays while travelling through Bridge Street in Dunmanry from tomorrow right up to and including uh, Friday the 8th of March while they do the replacement work on those water mains but it's a good news story for Don Manway to have the old pipe work uh, replaced. 0818 103 103 also coming in to us on from Ampost now earlier this morning I read out a statement that we got from Ampost they apologised to customers in Glengariff uh, for what they call temporary service issues. This was the, pro- the issue we discussed yesterday on the programme but they said allegations that the route had no deliveries for a week are absolutely untrue. Well listen says, hi, I run a business based in a rural part of Glengariff. I normally receive post on a daily basis. I've received no postal delivery since Friday the 16th of February. On a personal level, my voting card, my referendum information, none of that has arrived. The idea and the suggestion put forward from on post that everything is normal is complete bunkum and codswallop says this texter. Well, they did apologise and they did accept that there had been some disruption to de- deliveries and that was to do, unfortunately, there was um, a higher than normal level of absence. I'm assuming a number of people became unwell and weren't available for for work. But there's somebody the 16th and what are we at today? The uh, 28th. That's a long time to be with a post for somebody who typically gets post every day, obviously from their business. 0818103103. We've been discussing food poverty and we are hoping uh, to talk about this in more detail on the programme this week. And this is to do with uh, a report out from Bernardo's showing more than 40% of parents say they've skipped a meal or they've reduced the size of their portion so that they can have enough food on the table for their children to eat. Parents will always put their children first. A number of people are thinking back to the way times were before when there wasn't a lot of money around but people didn't go hungry. Joe and Kilmallock says when he was younger he said we grew all our own veg, particularly potatoes uh, and many did the same so that is how so many people survived when there wasn't a lot of money around but today it's all down to people heading to the supermarkets and the shops. Joe and Kilmaddock says, I feel today we are too posh to dig. There's a phrase, too posh to push, but too posh to dig. And Tom and Bantry has similar memories. He said, uh, we used to set all of our own veg. There was 13 of us in family. Wait for this, living in a three-bedroomed house. Goodness me. We used to get various cuts of meat from the butchers like crubines, etc. Now, Tom says they used to go to a local hardware shop 
where they could buy a pig's head. And I checked with John Paul and I said, are you sure Tom said it was a hardware shop? And he said it was. They go to the butcher for various cuts of meat. But for some hardware shop in Bantry, used to sell a pig's head. And I don't know why a hardware shop would be doing that. But anyway, Tom said they did. He said if there was any potatoes left over after the dinner, they would be fried. You'd, you'd very rarely hear, pe- hear or see people do that today, he reckons. That's why people are going hungry. They're buying food that is too expensive. We need to go back to basics and back to uh, growing uh, our own. 0818 103 103. And Michael is on about RTE the story that just does not want to go away. Michael says this debacle between the Minister for Arts and RTE rumbles on and will until truth begins to flow from RTE. The information is constantly wilting all the time. If my memory serves me right, Kevin Backhurst was in the room with the media minister when she asked Shiani Rally about the payments and he remained tight-lipped. Michael is wondering why. The minister was only being fed on a drip, drip basis. Hence, she had no choice but to go on primetime TV and call out Sheila Niralee. Was Shuan Niralee involved in Dee Forbes' exit? Did she send Dee away before she could talk? She couldn't get information out of her with a crowbar. Dee Forbes did say she was sorry that she ever came there. I didn't realise Dee Forbes had said that. Uh, this is, there is a great similarity between RT and the media minister and what's going on with Drew Harris and the Gardaí uh, thanking you, says uh, Michael from Castleton Bear. Yeah, and I saw I saw an article where Drew Harris said he's taken aback that he hasn't been a- asked to go to the, the Gardaí, the GRA. So the GRA conference, he hasn't been invited to and normally they always go to any of those uh, conferences. But there's, yeah, there's a great divide between the working Gardaí and Drew Harris uh, for sure. And is it the same between RTE and the minister? Michael reckons it is. And we know the latest this time tomorrow we'll know hopefully we'll know even more maybe I think at this stage people just want this story to go away and a line to be drawn uh, under it the Minister for Media Catherine Martin she'll face questions now this isn't happening until this evening I thought it was going to happen this afternoon but I got John Paul to check but I think it's 7 o'clock this evening she's been called into the media the Rockdus Committee on Media and she's been called in to talk about her handling of events that led to the resignation of Shu Nirali as the chair of the board. It's a special three-hour session that's going to be held this evening to examine uh, the controversy. Uh, Catherine Martin said she was given incorrect information last week when she asked the then chair, Shuni Rally of the RT board if the exit payment to the former financial officer, Richard Collins, had got board approval. And of course, Sheen, Shuin Nirali said no, it didn't get board approval. Then she had to clarify the matter last Thursday and say, actually, yes, it it did, or she knew about it. And she also informed that the former Secretary General of the Department of Media about the process, and she said she did that as far back as October. RTE has remained adamant that it was simply a case of some confusion arising from a question from the Minister about the approval of uh, Mr Collins's exit. And so it rumbles on. So today or this evening... She'll be before the Oireachtas Media Committee. And God knows the Oireachtas Media Committee was a kind of one of those obscure Oireachtas committees that we really wouldn't have heard that much about. They're getting so much exposure at, at the moment. Now, she's going to be asked a number of questions, obviously. Uh, why did uh, Catherine Martin decide to go public before hearing 
RTE's chair, Shuni Raleigh's explanation. A lot of people are saying that she had, when she went on primetime last week, she said at the time that she was looking forward to meeting Shuni Raleigh, the chair of the board, tomorrow morning she had invited her in. But why didn't she have that meeting with Shuni Raleigh to clarify everything before she went on to primetime? I think a lot of, she's going to get questioned, I think, a lot about that. Also, why was there no note taken of the call that the RTE chair made in October where she says that the Secretary General of Catherine Martin's department was told of uh, Mr Collins's uh, department and yet there doesn't seem to be any note uh, taken of that conversation so she'll be pushed on that. And also I think, and I'd be interested to hear her answer, uh, when are we when are we going to see the paper on the future funding model? When is that going to be brought to the Cabinet? We've been waiting I think there's two reports that we're waiting on to deal with the funding model and this just seems to be the delay after delay after delay. So let's see that she may have some update on that because of course Catherine Martin is the media minister she firmly wants to abolish the TV uh, licence and it seems reading through a lot of the political correspondence uh, and their pieces in the papers today she's losing support for that because obviously she's losing support amongst the her other government parties and she's the one that's been pushing she wants to take away the licence fee completely and instead introduce direct exchequer funding from the for the National Broadcaster so the Exchequer would fund RTE and none of us would pay a TV licence. Now some people are accusing her of just going down the populist route with that one but there's a big divide even within the three government parties as to should we scrap the RTE, should we scrap the television licence and just have it all paid for by Exchequer funding but she's certainly, her support for that particular model is starting to dwindle and I guarantee you somebody is going to ask the Minister if she has confidence in the Director General Kevin Backhurst and does she have confidence in the RTE board and I think the point that Michael has made there is one of the ones particularly when it comes to Kevin Backers was he not in the room at the same time that Shuani Raleigh was asked about the payments and if Shuani Raleigh and he was aware that those payments had been made why didn't he speak up Shuani Raleigh is saying oh I forgot what had happened did he also forget? But he hasn't been questioned on that. So I'm wondering, uh, will she be asked? Does she have confidence in him? More to come from this saga. And another, it's like watching the movies. If you want to go on and rock this TV tonight, take us on from seven. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. John Paul taking your calls. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, making Cork County the place to live, work, visit and invest in. See corkcoco.ie. The Mallow Field Club are hosting Neil Donovan. He'll speak on Liam Lynch and the IRA's Cork Number no. 2 Brigade. It's tonight at 8. Social Services Centre in Mallow and admission is €5. Euro. The bingo is on in Shambally Moor Community Centre. That's tonight at 8. Their jackpot €1,050. Euro. While in Bantir, there is bingo on tonight at half past eight. The jackpot is €3,200. And there's bingo going ahead in Broadford Community Centre next Thursday at eight o'clock. All are welcome. You're invited to celebrate International Women's Day, which is Friday week, the 8th of March, with lunch in aid of the Greater Chernobyl Cause in the Kingsley Hotel from one o'clock. Music is with the wonderful Fiona Kennedy, along with a gala auction and raffles. Tickets are 60 euro and they are limited so you can contact Fiona uh, from the international from the Greater Chernobyl cause on 087 9536 
3. And Clonakilty Access Group is appealing to householders with hedges, trees and shrubs growing onto public footpaths to please cut them back before the 1st of March. That is the deadline. They're also appealing to premises that put up hanging baskets and floral displays to please ensure that they don't impede passers-by. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie And by the way, somebody else in West Cork wants to point out that the referendum leaflets haven't arrived in LEP either. I know some people are saying the polling cards, I don't know if any polling cards are out yet, it's a bit early for those, but certainly the referendum leaflets uh, should be well in people's houses by now, but there are certainly areas of West Cork that haven't received them yet and is that anything to do with the fact that some of the staff are, they have a larger number of staff out sick according to uh, Unpost and next Monday we will be looking at both sides of the uh, referendums. We're going to do an interview with the yes side and we're going to do an interview with the no side and we've asked both sides to please lay it out in layman's terms as best they can because there seems to be a lot of confusion about it and certainly any time I've seen people go head to head is all I seem to be hearing are people contradicting each other. No, that's not right. No, that's not right. So what we've decided to do is just lay out each side and then let people make up their own minds and we will be doing that on the programme on Monday. Patricia, is the RTE hearing on today? It, it is, there's a, well, there's another one on today. It's the Oireachtas Media Committee and they are bringing Catherine Martin, the media minister, in to answer questions. In particular, I think it's with regard to Shuani Rally uh, resigning as chairman of the board of RTs tonight at 7 o'clock you can get it on Eroctus TV Hi Patricia this RTE carry on is is it not a bit like Bertie Ahern don't remember that yeah there seems to be a lot of uh, memory losses and thank you to Margaret in Tallow to say she got a polling card last Friday okay well done so some of the polling cards are already out thank you for that um, I, I'm, I don't know how many of them are out because it's another uh, oh yeah they need to be coming out fairly soon because it is Friday week the 8th that we will be going to vote so I, I'm assuming people will start to receive them in the uh, coming days but it would be nice if the people in West Cork were having problems with their post if they could at least get the information leaflets so they could know what was going on and somebody else uh, Michael says Patricia I got my polling card yesterday the booklet though makes little sense to me says <laughs> Michael I have to say listen I'm up to my tonsils researching it at the moment in advance of the in advance of our information pieces that we are doing uh, next week uh, as well. I have looked at the information booklet. It is making sense to me, but I think because I've done so much, I always think coming up to referendums, I talk about it at home, it's like I'm studying for the Leaving Cert because you're trying to get as many different sides and different views and trying to read as much as you can on it and anything to do with the Constitution can at times be utterly, utterly confusing. So we're trying to take as much of the confusion out of it as we can. 0818 Can I say well done to Ryanair? <laughs> it isn't often we're giving poor old Ryanair praise. They're always getting knocked for things that they do wrong, particularly when it comes to customer service. But it's a story that's making a lot of the papers today. And it's to do with an Irish golfer by the name of Joe Lines. Joe is the reigning Irish seniors close champion. And he was over in Seville in Spain. He was playing in the Spanish Seniors Amateur Open. And lo and behold, didn't our Joe Lines from County Offaly win by four strokes at a golf club in Seville? 
So he headed for Seville Airport to get his flight home. He was actually, even though he lives in Offaly, well, he lives in Galway, I think, he was flying into Cork. He was on the Seville-Cork flight, Ryanair flight out of Seville. So he turned up Seville Airport, happy bunny indeed, that he had won the open competition. And he was there with his wife, uh, Vera. But they couldn't fit the silver cup into their hand luggage. And he was forced then to leave it at the gate to be told by the staff, well, that's going to be binned if you can't get it into your hand luggage. But a Ryanair representative called Joe yesterday to apologise for the incident. And they have promised that the trophy will be put on the next flight back to Ireland and it will be couriered straight to his house in Galway. He said he got a very apologetic phone call from somebody in Ryanair's marketing department. Well done to the marketing department. And she said what happened shouldn't have happened. She says it was a mistake by one of the handling agents and they profusely apologised. Now Joe in the papers today is explaining what happened. He went up to the desk to check in and and whatever. I don't know, did he have checked in luggage or was it just all hand luggage he had? And they said unless you can get that trophy and it's it's like I've seen a photograph of it. It's, you know, it's a standard kind of a silver cup that you would get for, not a great huge, like it isn't as big as as any of the cups that you'd get for like the Sam Maguire or anything like that. It isn't as big as that. It's It's a standard golfing trophy in a golfing uh, cup. So they said to him, well, if you want to bring that on board, you can't carry it on. You have to put it into your hand luggage. So in fairness to his wife, Vera, she tried her best to get it into the hand luggage. Now, she did manage, he said, to get it in a good bit of the way. But he said the zip just wouldn't close to cover the entire uh, cup. And they said, oh, no, no, unless the zip is closed, you can't bring on. I didn't know you took for hand luggage on Ryanair. You have the zip has to be closed. Anyway, they said you have to have the zip closed or you can't get on. Now, Joe admits that he threw a little bit of a hissy fit. And as he said, I kind of threw the toys out of the pram a bit. And I said to the woman behind the desk, well, you can keep it. And she says, what do you want me to do with it? And she said, well, we'll be throwing it in the bin. And he said, I said, throw it in the bin. I'm going home. And he said, I headed off down the gangway. Now, the couple only got back into Cork Airport in the early hours of Monday morning. And then they had the long drive, obviously, up to Galway to get them home. And several other members of the senior team, they were staying on for an extra day and they weren't travelling back until yesterday. So they were in the airport on Monday and they had found out what had happened to Joe. So they went around looking for the trophy because obviously one of them had room in their hand luggage and they were trying to bring it back but they couldn't locate the cup and they were there thinking oh God it must have been gone into the bin. But anyway Joe got a, a very apologetic phone call from somebody in Ryanair to say yeah they had located it and they would be sticking it on a plane and they would uh, they would get it back to him and Joe uh, has been really nice about it all. He says um, I'm just glad it was resolved. Ryanair apologised. That's the end of the matter as far as I'm concerned. He said we all make mistakes and they've acknowledged the mistake. So well done as I say to Ryanair. They have a tendency to get a lot of negative commentary for some of the stuff they do and they really can be so strict when you get to the gate of the plane and when you get to check in. You'll always notice the Ryanair queue if they're checking in with luggage. I have seen people open up suitcases. I saw a girl one day, she must have put on four or five jumpers that she was taking out of a suitcase because her suitcase was over 
the weight and they were trying to charge her and she didn't want to pay anymore. So she just opened the case and put on the jumpers uh, instead. And they really have this kind of a, a no-nonsense approach where the customer always seems to be wrong. Um, I mean, any time I've ever had dealings with Ryanair at the, at the gates as well, you always feel you're in the wrong. They always seem to be right. And they do get a lot of stick on social media. People are always calling them out for things that they do wrong. So it's good to see where Ryanair accepted this was. They say it was a mistake by one of their handling agents. And good to know that Joe who has successfully won the Spanish Seniors Amateur Open. Can we congratulate him on him on his four-shot win and he has the cup back. And somebody's just sent me on a, a clip from the independent.ie of the Gardaí who stopped a motorist who had been driving for 32 years without a licence. I was wondering, can you get car insurance without a, a licence? Well, they do ask you when you're filling in your car insurance details. They ask you, do you have a licence? But I don't think they ever look for proof that you have a driving licence because I'm assuming, I hope to God, if he was 32 years without a driving licence. I hope he wasn't 32 years driving around without insurance. 0818103103. Hi Patricia, I, we haven't got the information, I haven't got the information leaflets either in Mill Street, even though somebody earlier on was on to say in Mill Street they did get theirs. Am I the only one? Says this listener. I suppose I'll get it after the referendum is finished. And to John McNamara, no relation to our own JP, says I'm looking forward to watching Eroctus TV at 7 tonight. It'll be better than any of the soap operas. 0818 103103. Now we're going to talk about negative thinking and trying to turn negative thinking into more positive thinking with Joe Heffern. And good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And we know how bad negative thinking is uh, for us. I remember, wasn't it, Maureen Gaffney in her book Flourishing? Mm. She spoke about for every negative thought, I think her theory was you had to have seven positive thoughts to make up for one negative one. So we've got to try and stop this pattern of negative thinking because you you reckon it it does and can contribute to stress and anxiety? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like the kind of things that we indulge in and I wouldn't be any bit different from anyone else. Um, The first one like um, that I came across was thinking in black and white in extremes. You know, and that most things aren't black and white. Uh, they're, they're, there's a lot of grey. There's some place in between. Um, so that, I mean, I suppose it brings up the word perfectionism. That, you know, it's either going to be perfect or forget about it. It's a write-off. And the, that uh, neither of those two extremes need necessarily be true. That, um, you know, that... Uh, that there's somewhere in between and, and that um, uh, we could think about perfect versus okay. Mm, yeah, and yeah. life, life. you know, while we love the idea of life being in black and white, it's never going to be in black and white and no situation no. is ever going to be in, in black and white. No and, and, and therefore unfair comparisons will come out of that. Well, I think we tend to do that. Like um, <laughs> any time I hear about someone winning the latter. I make a lot of comparisons and I kind of think, gee, wouldn't that be great? But I mean, on a, on a more usual level, making unfair comparisons between ourselves and others, kind of thinking, God, they do that so much better. And um, God, um, you know, uh, they painted the house recently and our place could badly do with rubber paint or anything like that. Um, that guy in the job got a promotion. I didn't. Um 
So making comparisons between ourselves and others, and it's not helpful. So we need to appreciate like our own qualities. Um, and remember, everyone has their own problems and talents. And um, and uh, and we are endowed with um, well, I don't know if you'd call it endowed with problems, but we all have our own problems and talent talents. And um, it's how we think about them is what can um, you know make the difference to our day. Yeah, and and I think if you're looking at somebody with great jealousy and saying, "Oh my God, they have everything and I have nothing," and you're 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 constantly seeing the negative, and they, you don't know what's going on in that other person's life. Well, that's very true. And, I mean, we read regularly in the press and online and things that people that we thought were flying, um, you know, um, great lives, great successes, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And the next thing is um, we see stuff um, four, five, six, seven months, a year later, and it turns out that... um, all was not rosy at all. In fact, it could be the very opposite. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, filtering. What do you mean by filtering? Right. Well, filtering now um, is kind of looking on the the negative aspects of any situation while dismissing the positive ones. Because no matter what kind of a problem is uh, in front of us, um, we need to see past it from the point of view that there probably is, unless there's something that happened in the past and can't be changed, but there probably is um, uh, a solution. Um, and uh, if we're looking at the negatives in every situation and focusing only on the negatives, well, then that gives us a very dull, negative view on our reality. So we need to uh, nurture a little gratitude. In other words, like... We, we need to have a look at what's good in our lives. And there's very few people that there isn't something good in our lives. Um, you know, that it isn't all doom and gloom. Yeah, and if you focus only on, on the negative, if it is a situation where, you know, something isn't great that's going on, if you're only focusing on the negative, you can't possibly see the positives and how that situation can be turned around. Absolutely. And, of course, that is very depressing and very stressful when we're looking at the black, black, black side of things quite a lot. So, yeah, we need to kind of... Uh, filtering uh, is a good word. see the other side. Yeah, filtering is a good word. Now, personalising every, everything and anyone, and we all know people that have that very negative personality, they will personalise everything. They will. But now, the big one here, like, is um, uh, blaming oneself for everything that has gone wrong. We'll say a relationship has gone wrong. We'll say that um, something has gone wrong with a job that one took on. Um, uh, if we're if we're blaming ourselves for everything, we can have a very very negative self image. So we need to be. We've said it many a time, Patricia. We need to be gentle on ourselves. Uh, I'd often say to a person, if this was a really good friend of yours now in that situation. Um, how, how, what would you say to them? And the usual answer is something quite kind. But we tend to to let that bit um, out of the conversation when we're talking to ourselves. And we need to nurture that. We need to be gentle on ourselves. 
we need to say we're just in the world today. We're um, hopefully doing the best we can. And, um, you know, uh, that we, we, we have hope. I suppose hope is a major, major thing in our lives. I mean, the whole world at the moment badly needs hope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, my, mind reading. Well, mind reading can be very peculiar. Mind reading like is uh, um, assuming that you know what the other person is thinking. Mm. And, you know, you mightn't. Um, uh, you might assume that you know what the other person is thinking about any given situation or a row or whatever. Um, uh, and uh, you need to check it out. Um, and you might be surprised. They might say to you uh, the, even the opposite of what you thought. So that um, you know, um, mind reading is is bad because um, you're under a false impression. You're assuming that you know what the other person is thinking when you don't know the truth. When, when you, you don't, don't, when you don't know what's yeah. what's going on. And then, of course, the famous one that we've often discussed: catastrophizing mm. everything. Absolutely, absolutely. That, I mean, things won't just be bad. They'll be a complete disaster. Um, and the consequences will be worse than one can even, uh, as bad as a person can imagine. Um, so if we ask ourselves in lots of situations, like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Is it the end of the world? Is it, you know, uh, is it impossible to cope with that scenario? And the the usual thing that when we think it through and when we have a chat with ourselves is, do you know what? Um, I I will cope. Yeah, because how cope. how often you can look back on life and if you if you there was a period of time in your life where you were catastrophizing and you believed, oh my God, I'm never going to get over this or this, yeah. you know, and then you look back now and you think, God, that wasn't actually as bad as I thought it was. Absolutely, and the thing is, a person would say, I'm still standing. Yeah, um, even though at the time. It seemed like that the whole world came crashing down on top of me, but I survived and I'm still here. What, does, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> there is that indeed. Yeah. yeah. Over, and we learn. Overgeneralizing. What do you mean by that? Well, overgeneralizing is like um, uh, kind of exaggerating where we went wrong to that we're calling ourselves stupid, we're calling ourselves um, incompetent. Um, we're thinking that everyone uh, knows that we are foolish and all that kind of thing. And, um, uh, you know, we need to look at the facts. Right. We, there's very few of us didn't make mistakes. And many of us made very, very big ones. Fair enough. But I, and I know it's a bit of a cliche to say we all make mistakes. But the point is, we do. And... Um, that's and if the reality. We hammer ourselves yeah. every day. We'll make our life miserable, you know. Yeah, that's the reality of life. Everybody makes mistakes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, and we need to forgive ourselves the same as we would forgive another, and try and get behind the front, um, uh, behind the curtain of the stage of what happened, and say, do you know what? Um, uh, I can understand how that happened, whether it applies to another or to ourselves. But we need a bit of forgiveness for sure, without a doubt. Labelling. Labelling is like, it's like it says on the tin, it's 
calling ourselves names really i'm i'm stupid um uh uh you know uh, um uh, that other person that was very unfair um but the the labels the names are 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 bad um you know we're all human beings and um we need to see the humanity in in everyone even those who harm us that um right we 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 can come to a conclusion that the person was wrong but we can kind of see past it to um you know i i can imagine what they were thinking now i know that's mind reading but i mean um we 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 need to be to avoid calling people you know um he's a monster um uh, she's um stupid um uh, that person is no good. We, we need to avoid that. It's, okay. it's not good. It's okay. Not good. And then the final one you have is blaming others. Well, just like the previous one, I suppose, in a way, uh, and to understand things do go wrong. Um, um, uh, things don't always work out the way we want them to. And then we look for someone to blame. Um, and it might be very close at home, um, you know, this is all your fault. This wouldn't have happened only that you did A or B or C. Um, so, you know, we can give a person a very hard time. And we, we need to pull ourselves up and kind of have a think and say, hold on, hold on. Even if the thing was wrong, um, uh, we need to be gentle on the other person and be gentle on ourselves. That, that's really where we need to, to kind of get to. So all these extremes... Um, all these 10 out of 10 uh, when it's bad um, uh, you know we need to go down to 5 and and have a look at it in a kind of in a more understanding way Okay. Somebody says, uh, great to hear Joe, Joe speak on this topic today. He is brilliant in everything he's saying. You need to think positive. When you do, everything works out fantastic. Uh, just move away from the negative things in uh, life. And somebody else said, would Joe uh, suggest if you have a very negative person in your life, in your friendship group, would you suggest moving away and don't hang around with, the, with that person? Uh, I find when I'm around that person, I end up with negative thoughts. Well, I, 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 I wouldn't be seeking out their company. I, I mean, um, without being in any way insulting about it, I would, I, yeah, I would avoid the person. I mean, if someone is ruining your day, why would you spend a lot of time with them? But I mean, there are ways of, uh, you know, the little white lie works out very well. <laughs> Will you come for a coffee tomorrow? Gee. I, I, I promised someone you know what I mean yeah yeah. I've got something really important to do but it's a bit like the flip of that is we all know very positive people in our, in our lives and there's something wonderful if you know you're going to spend time with somebody who's really positive you're almost happy before you even get there and you come away from those people with your spirit lifted they're the kind Absolutely. of people we, we need and, to be around I mean, a person might say Every time I meet that person, I come away with, with a smile. smile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Paul Indongarvan on labelling says, as I always say, labels are for jars. All right, you're a wise woman, <laughs> yeah. Paul, a wise woman. Listen, Joe, have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. Thanks for that. Have a lovely week. That is uh, Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Boherbui. His number is 086-834-8145. That's where I leave you for today. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and Nick is lo- looking for not one, 
but two qualifiers for our Snap the App on C103 as we roll through week number two. Two opportunities today to uh, qualify. Martina then will get the fifth and final qualifier and then a draw will be made. One lucky listener will get a call back and that listener will win €500. Snap the app, download the C103 app today and listen to play all this week as we have our second week of Snap the App. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Cork Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.